Aloha, Pearlside Church, Pastor Paris here. Our hearts go out to the people here in Maui. Our hearts go out to the people who have lost loved ones. I'm here with Pastor John, Pastor Grace, Bible Church, Maui, who's been at the tip of the spear in giving care, supplying for the needs of the people. Besides to thank you, uh, every nation churches for standing with us here in Maui. A tragedy so large that it's, it's attracted the eyes of the world. And, and uh, this is a tragedy that no church can can solve alone um, and it's it's a it's a huge comfort to know that we have churches around the world that we belong to that can pray with us uh, we were going uh, 12 to 16 hours a day non-stop doing everything we can with with pivots and changes that were so quick and leading um, so much energy and volunteers that it, it was very difficult to navigate uh, what the next step was. And, and every single time that there is a difficult challenge, um, it seems almost effortless. And there's the only way to explain it is that people all around the world were praying for us. And so I, I want to express our gratitude. I know there's a lot of people everywhere that want to help Maui. And I've gotten phone calls from, from pastors uh, all over saying, what can we do? How can we send uh, resources? And how can we send help? And I think in this stage of uh, the crisis, the, don't underestimate the power of prayer. Pray for our first responders. Pray for our pastors. Uh, pray for the people who lost their homes, uh, people who are still missing their loved ones and, and, and hoping that they're going to see their loved ones again. Um, pray for whatever God puts on your heart. There's so many needs that we're seeing and experiencing to know that we have people praying, giving, and then planning to come when the doors open up to serve. Thank you, God bless you, and aloha from the island of Maui. praise for what he's doing in the midst of everything that they're facing and Pearlside Church you know this is going to be a long-term partnership with them because we're just in phase one of this crisis that they're in and there's probably about four phases that we're going to have to walk with them in and how many of us know we want to partner with them for the long haul and do all that we can to help them in this time but last week we were able to receive a special offering in Pearlside Church you guys were generous in your not only prayers but in your financial giving last week we were able to raise uh, $97,000 to give towards the efforts uh, of first time come on give God praise for all that he's doing in and through us and it's really through your generosity and we're going to continue to receive this offering to the end of the month and uh, continue to support Maui in the best way that we can and like I said it's going to be a long-term partnership and today in their services uh, Grace Bible Church Maui was able to give a thousand dollars cash to 34 families of first responders who lost their homes. And uh, they'll be able to just be more generous, looking for more opportunities to not only just bless the community, because right now what they need is finances because of, uh, ob for obvious reasons. And so uh, they're going to do all that they can to continue to help and be the light in the community during this time. And as other organizations have come in to help with the first response and the, the meals and the support to house people, they're shifting their efforts to do more of what the church can only do, which is emotionally care for the needs of people and spiritually care for them. And so we're going to be continuing to pray with them and partner with them and supporting them for the long haul 
And so we're going to give you uh, updates along the way on how we can continue to be partners with them. But how many of us know this is going to be at least a two to three year, maybe at least, road of recovery for Maui. And we're going to do all that we can to help them in this season. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, we're going to be concluding our series Resilient tonight. And uh, the whole premise of this series is to remind us that we're living in a broken world. And uh, throughout these past eight weeks, we've been looking at the life of a prophet named Elijah. And how God has been using him and orchestrating everything in his life to develop resilience in his own life. And today we're going to wrap up by uh, looking at his role in this other prophet that would succeed him named Elisha. So we looked at Elijah, J-A-H, and now we're going to look at Elisha and that process of God uh, using Elijah to impart and impact the next generation through Elisha's life. Now, to give us a background, Elisha was a wealthy business owner. He had 24 oxen, and during this time, that's a lot of money and resources, and he basically was a farmer, and he had a lot of wealth and resources, and Elijah calls him out of his company. And that would be like in modern-day terminology where he was leaving, uh, uh, basically the CEO of Elijah Farming, Elisha Farming, and he leaves being a CEO to be an unpaid intern. That's how we can kind of see what happened in this moment. And so he leaves everything to follow after Elijah and to learn from him. And for the next 10 to 18 years, he's basically learning and gleaning from the life of Elijah. And today, we're looking at their last conversation that they had before Elijah's time on this earth is up. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It'll be up on screen. It says this. As they were walking, Elijah and Elisha... And talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see that the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress because no one ever has a real encounter with the living God like this and survives. And so he's afraid for his life. But after this moment subsides, verse 13 says this, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. I want to preach a message to us as we wrap up this series called Resilient with this title, Pick Up the Mantle. Pick up the mantle. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, pick up the mantle. If you're ready for the word, say yeah. If you want God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you. Your word is truth. And Lord, we pray that your truth is something that we'll hold on to, especially during difficult times. God, we pray that you would speak to us a real tangible word that would change us from the inside out. God, we are longing to hear from you. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. The video that you just saw uh, was taken by myself and Sean Cabayas and Pastor Paris. We had the opportunity to go to Maui to get that footage for us on uh, Wednesday of this past week. And I know we were going to Maui on not the best of terms. And how many of us know that in difficult moments you need to find some humor in life to kind of bring the humanity back to some of the stresses that all of us are feeling and experiencing, especially those on Maui. So we fly into Maui. It was an unplanned trip. We literally found out the day before and uh, basically did all that we can to prepare to get to the trip. It was just a, a few hours that we were there. And so we fly in, 
we get our, our car, and uh, we start heading to the church. And so I'm in the back seat. I'm replying to emails and text messages. Pastor Paris is the driving. And we got Sean Cabayas riding shotgun. And he's our production video guy. And so if you know anything about Sean, he hasn't left Oahu much in his life. He's basically been on a few trips. One of them this year getting off the rock was he went to a mission trip to Japan. So this is probably like his third trip off of Oahu. And you need to know that because of what I'm about to tell you next. So we're driving to the church. And as we're driving, he looks up. He's like, oh, how's that mountain? Oh, that mountain is huge. Now, if you know anything about Maui, Maui has two big mountains, uh, the Maui West Mountain. And then how many of us know Haleakala is the bigger mountain? The, Maui, the mountain that he was referring to that he thought was huge was West Maui Mountain. Okay, so he's looking at, oh, that mountain is huge. And mind you, Pastor Paris is driving. I'm in the back seat. We're ignoring him because it's a mountain. Come on, like, Really? Nothing crazy about it. So we make a turn and we see Haleakala and it's like, oh, that mountain is even more huge. And he's like super excited, really loud and boisterous about this. And the same response, Pastor Paris is ignoring him and I'm ignoring him because it's just a mountain. We've seen it before. But for someone who hasn't seen anything, how many of us know that when you see something for the first time, it really brings out a different emotion in your heart? It brings out a positive emotion, or it can also bring out a negative emotion. So for Sean, seeing the mountain for this time brought out a positive emotion. And I think when I'm thinking about what happened on Maui, the reason why it's hitting us so hard is because it's literally happening in our backyard. How many of us would agree that most of the tragedies that we've seen on the news is either something so far away that us being in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, we sometimes we feel disconnected from it. But the fact that it's happening in our own backyard, come on somebody, it's triggering a lot of emotions. Why? Because we would never think that something at that magnitude would happen here in a place that we call home, especially a place that we call paradise. And so I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm thinking about seeing these things, and I'm thinking about what they're feeling and what they're going through. And now many of us have emotions going all throughout the scales of just grief and mourning and so forth like that. But how many of us know that the truth of God, the thing I love about the truth of God is it still remains true in any circumstance. That's why it's called truth. That when we apply God's truth to our life, it remains true even more so in difficult circumstances. It's the truth that we hold on to during difficult seasons that actually gives us the grace and the strength to endure difficult times. Why? Because we're not holding on our own strength. We're holding on the truth of what God's word says about our life and about the world that we're living in. So for the past eight weeks, we're encouraging us about being resilient, living victoriously in a broken world. And we've been setting the tone and preaching message after message, truth after truth. And now it's the time for us to hold on to those truths. This is the time for us to apply what we've heard to our lives so that we can be a resilient church for such a time as this. I don't think it's a coincidence that we were in this series of messages to prepare us for the road that's ahead. And God is going to be opening doors in all of our lives, and that's why we need to hold on to the truth that no matter what's happening in our lives, we can still be resilient. So three truths. For us tonight as we wrap up this series, first truth on screen is this. The world we live in is broken and fallen. Jesus speaks directly to this in John 16, 33. He says this, I have told you all this 
so that you may have peace in who? In him. Peace in him. Peace in me. Here on earth. Where are we living? On earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. No matter what background, what ethnicity you have, what age you are, whatever you land on the political scale, how many of us will all agree that the world that we're living in today is broken? Doesn't matter what background, whatever you believe in, that we can all agree and come to the same conclusion that we're living in a broken world. And Jesus is giving us a promise here because when it comes to the promises of the Bible, we all like the good promises. God's promise to always be with us, never leave us nor forsake us. Promise to always protect us, to guide us, and to, to lead us in our lives. And these are the promises that we hold on to. But there's also promises that we don't like to hold on to. You know what Jesus is promising you and I in this world? We're going to go through some stuff. He literally is promising this. This world, this life that we're living in, it's going to be a difficult life. Put that on a coffee mug. No, right? Isn't it true? It's still a promise from God, but it's not the promise that we like to hear. Because we like to hear things that benefit us, that encourage us, that uplift us. But if we look at this, this is an encouragement because when things happen that seem to be out of our control, we shouldn't be surprised. Why? Because Jesus is already telling us beforehand that you're going to go through some stuff. So going through some stuff and having crises and things like that, as unfortunate as it is, we can always have an assurance that Jesus already promised that that's part of living in this broken world. It's the reality of the world that we're living in. So Jesus is basically guaranteeing a difficult life. I've heard it said this way, you're either going into a storm, currently in a storm, or coming out of a storm. That's how you can basically sum up all of life. It's really revolving around storms. So for us, Jesus never promises us a storm-free life, but he always promises us a storm-proof life. And that's what resilience is all about. And here's the truth. In reality, we wouldn't even know if we have the peace of God in us unless we're in a crisis. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we just think peace is the absence of a storm. But peace isn't the absence of a storm. It's the presence of God in our hearts in the midst of a storm. So sometimes storms is necessary to reveal if we really have the peace of God in our heart. Because if we do, it doesn't, happen, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. We can still have an assurance of who God is on the inside of us. And that's what leads to peace. Peace is not just everything going the way that we want it to. Peace is a trust and a confidence in God, especially when life isn't going the way that we want it to. We're trusting that God is still good, and we're relying on his presence to give us the strength that we need in our lives. And so we look at the world all around us today, and we see tragedy after tragedy. Not only the fire in Maui, but we're talking about hurricanes, earthquakes, other natural disasters around the world school shootings, bombings, all of these things to me that are happening more frequently is just a reminder that we're living in the last days. Isn't it true that all of these things that we're seeing is a reminder that, man, Jesus is coming soon. How many of us have seen that sign in Kalihi, Jesus is coming soon? It's been there for years. And you know what the reality about that sign is this. Every day that passes, 
means that sign becomes more and more true for you and I. That he is coming back. That this world isn't the end of life, but a preparation for what eternal life will eventually look like. And so for us, we have to understand that in tragedy, you and I are always looking for things and, or someone or something to put blame on. Why do we do that? Because we're trying to find some comfort and relief to our emotions that's going haywire. We're trying to find a reason for why things are happening. And we're looking for answers and we're wanting to know why the three-letter word that always comes up when we go through stuff. Why this? Why that? And Jesus is basically giving us a why beforehand. It's the broken world that we're living in. Sometimes we get, get through trials because we made decisions that got us into situations. But sometimes there are things that are happening outside of our control that will continue to happen. Why? Because the world that we're living in is broken and fallen. And we can still trust God in the midst of all of that. Every situation, every circumstance will give us an idea. I feel like God always tries to communicate to us in different ways. But if we're listening, we can really see that he gives us hope in the midst of devastating situations. Now, I'm not trying to downplay what happened on Maui, but there was a light of hope that God gave us, like a crumb of hope that we can hold on to, even in the midst of this, this difficult situation. How many of us have seen the picture of the church that really was able to get through that? Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was built in 1873, which was one of the few structures that was able to withstand the fire. And you can see the devastation right on the other side of the street. But something about the church, that God had his hand on the church, that in the midst of the fire, that we can still come out unscathed. Now, I'm not trying to downplay and say that because of other people who didn't have their faith in Jesus, that's why their houses burns. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to talk about that kind of situation. I'm talking about some hope that God gives us in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And so for us, I think this is a perfect picture of how God wants to be us to be as they, at the church, the church not a physical building, but a spiritual body, you and I forming the church, that we can still come out of the fires of life unscathed. Why? Because of our hope in Jesus Christ. So I think God is giving us a visual of how he wants us to be resilient, that we can still experience victory in the midst of devastation all around us. So for you and I, the reminder is that when Christ is in our heart, he gives us the peace to endure any of life's storms. And until we get to Jesus and meet him face to face, either in two ways, either we leave this life breathing our last breath, breath or he comes back again, until that day happens, the sad reality of our lives is this. Trial is going to come. Circumstances are going to come, but we take heart because Jesus overcame it all. Second point in our notes is this. Our hope in Christ is eternal life in heaven. So for me, tragedy reminds us that this world that we're living in is a temporary world. Too often, you and I get too attached to the temporary, and so when things like this happen, it wrecks our world. Why? Because we're living for today rather than the tomorrow in eternity that God is guaranteeing for you and I. Ellie Weasel says this, eternity is the place where questions and answers become one. So some of us have questions of why this happened to me. Why did I have to go through this? And I would guarantee you that some of these questions won't get answered until we get to the other side of eternity with God. 
and our questions and our answers will come into one place. Why? Because we have the answer right in front of us and we have an encounter face-to-face with God himself. So 2 Kings 2, 11 to 12 says this. As they were walking along, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And they disappeared from sight. And Elisha tore his clothes in distress. And so Elijah was literally only one of two people in all of recorded scripture that didn't experience death. The other one was a guy in the Old Testament. But Elijah was one of the people who escaped death. And he went out in the most gangster way possible. Like literally a chariot from heaven came down, picked him up, and took him into heaven. I'm like, man, God, can I go out like that? Like literally send a heavenly Tesla, pick me up, and we'll be bumping Kanye West's good life back into heaven. You know what I mean? I want to go out that way. And the reality for most of us is that's not going to be our experience unless Jesus comes back again. But for many of us, we're going to have to experience the reality of, of death. And so Elijah was able to escape that. But this scene reminds us that really this life is preparation for the next life. Elijah was a prophet. He was doing everything that God wanted him to do, performing miracle after miracle. God used him to be a mouthpiece for Israel to draw them back to God. And that's the thing about you and I. We always drift from God and we need people to call us back into relationship with him. And so God was using Elijah to be that microphone for the people of Israel to call them back into relationship with him. Why? Because how we live today will determine where we spend our tomorrows. The life that we're living today is just a preparation for our eternity. And so too often you and I, we get too tied to the temporary when God wants us to fix our focus on things that are eternal. Revelation 21, the disciple John has an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he has this vision of what the future will look like for you and I. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God, God's home is now among his people. And that's God's heart. He always wanted to live and to dwell among us like in the garden. And that's what we're returning to in eternity. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's what an eternity with God is going to look like. It literally is going to be living with God face to face, and God is going to do an extreme home makeover to this place called earth, upgrade, take out all the sin and everything that's caused corruption on this earth, and bring a new heaven and a new earth, and restoring it to how it should have been in the beginning. That's what we get to experience and look forward to as people of faith. It reminds me of uh, Canada. My wife and I, when we got married, we spent our honeymoon in Canada. And there's this place in Canada called Banff. And in Banff, there's two lakes. One is called Moraine Lake, and the other lake is called Lake Louise. And Moraine Lake 
is what you see behind me on screen. When we were there face to face, like on foot, it looked like an Apple like screensaver. Like that's how fake it looked. I'm standing right in front of it. And I'm like, that does not look real at all. It looks like photoshopped. Someone photoshopped this mountain. That's how crazy it looked. I had a Sean Cabias moment myself. <clears throat> and I thought, wow, this is the most beautiful place on the earth. And it was so beautiful that me and my wife went back a second time. We altered our vacation, our honeymoon, to go back and look at it again. Why? Because it was so beautiful. But the reality of heaven is this. Even the most beautiful thing that we see on this earth pales in comparison to what heaven is going to look like. You know, in heaven, the asphalt in heaven is gold. That's crazy. Think about that. Transparent gold is what we're going to be walking on. Things that we think are so valuable on this side of eternity is going to seem like nothing in eternity. Why? Because God is creating a beautiful place for people who've put his faith, put their faith in him. So how we're living our life today is important. The decisions that you and I are making today determine how we're going to live in eternity. So what we do today matters. How we live our lives today matters. The choices that we make matters. Why? Because God wants us to spend an eternity with him in a place called heaven. And the thing I love about heaven is this. No more funerals. No more crying. No more back pain. Come on, somebody. Waking up, knees cracking, and all of these things. None of that in heaven. Why? Because we are in an eternal, perfect state, face-to-face -face with our Heavenly Father. And that's been God's design since the beginning of time. But what ruined it is sin. And so everything that God has been trying to do to restore humanity back to him is basically get us to that pre-sin state of being in relationship and fellowship with him. So God sent Jesus to really reconnect us back to him, but it's our response to this invitation that's going to matter most. How we respond to Jesus' invitation of eternal life matters on us. The door is open from God, but we have to respond in faith. We have to say yes to that invitation. We have to receive him into our own hearts and live accordingly. And when we do that, we have this promised hope of an eternal life with God. One of the things that I get to do as a pastor is I get to do two things frequently. I get to do weddings and I get to do funerals. And the sad reality about where I've been done, doing most of my ministry is I've done more funerals than weddings. And uh, as sensitive as this area is, the most difficult thing to do in a funeral or a celebration of life is to do a funeral where you don't know where that person's faith was. Or you don't know if they had a faith in Jesus. So the people that had faith in Jesus, you can really have fun at a funeral. Of course, you're going to reflect on the, and, and, and honor the person, but you can have life. Why? Because it's a celebration. Because where they are is better than where we're currently living in. It's called a celebration of life. But oftentimes, people say something like this at a funeral that they're in a better place. And we can't positively say that if we don't know where their faith in Jesus is. So I can't just say they're in a better place now just to bring comfort to the people if that's not the reality of where the person was at in their faith. And so those funerals are hard to do. So what I do in that moment is I preach to the people who are currently living because they still have a chance to respond to Jesus. 
They still have a moment for us to receive Jesus on this earth. As long as we have breath, we still have a chance to receive Jesus into our lives. But the choice is ours. And I think God gives us all opportunities to respond in faith. Some people have more opportunities than other people, but we'll all have a moment to respond in faith. And the confidence that I want us all to have when it comes to not only our lives, but the lives of our family, our friends, and our loved ones, is that we'll have the confidence and assurance to know that they're going to be in, in heaven with us. We can only have that confidence here on earth today if we make sure that we share the gospel with them today so that they can respond in faith. So everything that we should be doing until our last breath as believers is to make sure that everyone around us in our life that we love and care so desperately about, that they have the hope of Jesus in their heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says this. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Here's the truth. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Every trial has an expiration date. And our trial that we're facing today in comparison to eternity is a short period of time. That's what he's saying here. This is what it's producing though. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So God is doing something in our heart through difficult seasons. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Here's what we do. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. We cannot see God in eternity. We cannot see heaven. That's what we're focusing in on though. The things that are unseen. For the things we now see will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will what? Will last forever. So you ever wonder why martyrs can go and give their lives for the gospel? Why? Because they're not fixing their eyes on the present. They're fixing their eyes on something eternal. They go through difficult seasons and moments. Why? Because they're not focusing on here and now. They're thinking about eternity with God. And those who have had the most impact in this life that we call on earth, usually we're focused more on the afterlife with God than here and the here and now. But unfortunately for you and I, you, many of us, we're just focusing on today. We're focusing on our jobs, our careers, the money that we're making, and all of these things. And that's not bad things, but if that's the primary focus of our lives, sometimes we need moments like this to refocus us back to what's really important. No one's thinking about their houses on Maui. No one's thinking about their resources that they lost. They're thinking about people. They're thinking about loved ones. And at the end of the day, at the end of all of our lives, everything that we've put our energy and efforts for, sometimes are materialistic, but at the end of our lives, that's not going to matter. What really is going to matter and what's really important, what really is eternal, is people, relationships. And so we need to make adjustments to our lives now to make sure that we're living for things that really are eternal in value. And I'm not saying don't study for that test. Please do. We've got to be good stewards of our lives here on earth. But I'm saying this, don't put all your eggs in that basket because everything can be gone in an instant. All of our resources, all of our money, all of that can be gone in an instant. And the things that really matter most, people, lives, that's what really is going to last. So we need to make adjustments in how we're living our lives. So don't say, Pastor, Pastor Kalai said, don't study for my test because, you know, none of that matters anymore. It's all temporary. I don't need save money. That's all temporary. No, save money so that we can be generous when moments like this come. 
You know what I'm saying? So we want to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us, but don't live only for that. Let's keep our eyes focused on the things that are eternal. C.S. Lewis says this, The fact that our heart yearns for something this earth cannot fully supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Let me say that again. The fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. I've heard it said this way. We often hear life is short, better enjoy it. How about this? Eternity is long, better prepare for it. So yes, life is short, but eternity is long. And how we live today will determine all of our eternity. So let's live with the reality of eternity in all of our lives. Last point in our notes as we come to a close is this. The church brings the hope of Christ to a broken world. We're supposed to bring the hope of Christ to a broken world. 2 Kings chapter 2, 13 and 15 says this. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. Now right before this, Elijah stuck his cloak into the, the Jordan River and it split. And they were able to walk on dry land. Now they're on the other side of the land and now Elisha is trying to go back. So here's what he does. He strikes the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And as he did that, the river divided and Elisha went across. So the same miracle that Elijah, Elijah did, Elisha also did as well. And when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. So right before this, Elisha and Elijah are having a conversation. And the protege, Elisha, wanted a double portion of what Elijah did, a double portion of his anointing. And so Elijah said, if you see me get taken up into heaven, then you'll have this prayer answered. And so that's exactly what happened. When Elisha put the cloak into the Jordan River, it was a sign that his prayer of wanting a double portion of what Elijah did came upon himself. That's exactly what he got. He got that because he was faithfully serving Elijah for about 10 to 18 years. So his faithfulness, the answer to that prayer was because of his faithfulness in serving Elijah. Elisha picked up his cloak. And what that cloak represented was the mantle. Everything that Elijah represented, being a prophet of God, having a call of God on his life, basically being able to communicate God's truth to the people. Everything that was represented in that cloak fell down and Elijah left that there. And Elisha, the protege, picked that up and he took that upon himself. Basically saying this, I'm going to pick up where you left off. So in recorded scripture, Elijah did about 14 miracles. You know how many miracles Elisha did? 28 miracles. He did double what Elijah did in his life. The impact that he had was double. Why? Because he asked God for a double portion of that same mantle. Now fast forward, we have the disciples having a similar encounter with Jesus. Jesus resurrects and in Acts, he gives them this last final word. He says this, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Same thing that Elijah did. God takes Elijah up. Same thing, but not as dramatic as Elijah. Just God takes up 
Jesus into heaven. And the disciples are looking up. They're like, we didn't get no cloak. Elijah left a cloak. But you know what God left for the disciples that was better than a cloak? He left his Holy Spirit. He left his spirit. And you know what Jesus promised when he was still living on this earth? We see it here. In John 14, 12, he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And how many of us would say that Jesus did some pretty crazy things? Performed a lot of miracles. And here's what he's saying, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So Jesus leaves earth, goes to the Father, and he leaves us something better than a mantle, a cloak. He leaves us the power of his Holy Spirit. You know what the power of the Spirit is for? To tell everybody about him. That's the main source of God's power. Anytime we're telling people about God, he will empower us to do so in a powerful way. As we come to a close, I was talking with Pastor Jonathan, just kind of asking him, you know, what are some of the miracles that you've been seeing during this difficult season that you've been in? And they were pulling like 16 to 18 hours just non-stop meeting the needs because before all these organizations came they were trying to be the actual first responders to give supplies and food and <clears throat> on this one particular night they had all of these supports and all these resources that they needed to get into Lahaina but because of everything that was happening there they locked and blocked off the door um, the, the road so no one could get in but they had all these supplies and they're praying God how are we going to get this to Lahaina and they're praying God, give us a way. And they're having a conversation and they're just kind of jokingly talking and saying, man, you know what, one way that we can practically do this is if we had a boat. But there's only two boats, the big enough size to take all of this resources that we have and, and really take it into Lahaina. Five minutes after they're having this conversation, someone comes to the church and say, hey, I got a boat. Uh, do you guys have supplies that you need to get stuff into Lahaina? And they're like, you got to be kidding me. And immediately they start to see miracle after miracle. Why? Because they're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when they're doing that, God empowers them to do that in a real tangible way. So when we're talking about being the hands and feet of Jesus to share the gospel with people, anytime we step out in faith to do that, the Spirit of God empowers us to do that. It seemed like he was saying like God was already answering prayers before they even prayed it because God was already orchestrating things in our lives. So that communicates two things for us. That one, prayer is powerful. And two, God is already working answers to our prayers before we even pray it. He's empowered us to be his hands and feet on this earth. So he leaves us the mantle of his Holy Spirit. And he's saying, anyone who follows after me, who does their part to tell the world about me, I'm going to give them a grace and a power that would accompany them to do things that only they could do through my spirit. So you want boldness? Where does boldness come from? The Holy Spirit. You don't know what to say. God, I don't know what to say. You know where the words come from? The Holy Spirit. God will empower his people to be the light of the world that he wants us to be. And I think that as we come to a close for today's message that you and I need to respond. We got to pick up the mantle. God has left his spirit. He's waiting for us as a church to pick up the mantle. It's there, but it's ours for the taking. I can't force you to pick it up. I can only encourage you and compel you to do so. But at, at, and the, at the end of the day, for all of us, it's our decision on what we're going to do with our lives. Are we going to live for ourselves? Are we going to live for God?
let what's happening on Maui start something that will happen in our lives. Here, if you want to know where you can start, just start with the people around you. Start with your loved ones, your friends, people that you can get confidence in and that trust that God is at work. I want to close with this story because one of the organizations that's in Maui right now is Samaritan's Purse. And what they do is they basically go to crisis areas to provide uh, help and need and basically not only food but basically bring support to rebuild the area. And they don't leave until things are at a better place. But the owner and the founder was named Bob Pierce. He not only founded Samaritan's Purse but he founded also World Vision. And on one trip that he had to China, he came face to face with poverty in the world. And on this one trip to China, he gave his last $5 that he had in his pocket to an abandoned Chinese girl that he met. And that was in 1947. And that moment that he had right there changed his life. And he started World Vision to really help support the the hunger need around the world. And later on, he starts Samaritan's Purse. But when he passed, this was what was written in his Bible. It'll be up on screen. He says this, written in his Bible. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Check that. He was basically saying, God, the things that bother you, I want that to bother me. The things that you are sad about, I want that thing to bother me, to make me sad too. And one of the things that will help us to pick up the mantle is having a good why. We need the heart of God to do the things of God. Let me say it this way. We need the heart of God to be the hands and feet of God on this earth. And so I can tell you to go love people, but unless you have the heart to do so, your willingness will be temporary. We need God to do something supernatural in our hearts to break us for the things that break his heart. Now, obviously, the things in Maui is breaking all of our hearts. But I don't want it just to be a temporary heart being broken. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be a beginning of something that will always be compelled for the things of God. That when something moves our heart, we see that it's God stirring in our hearts to do something that he's calling us to do. And when we have him in our hearts, and when he stirs, and we move in faith, then the power of God will show up in real tangible ways and we'll have testimony after testimony, life after life of people that were encountered, that had an encounter with God through our lives. How many of us are up for that call? My hand's up. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing and how you're stirring in us. And I pray, Lord, because only you can stir in our hearts. And let that prayer that Bob prayed That the things that break your heart, God, let it break our hearts too. It reminds me of an old school song that I love. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, we pray that that will be our prayer tonight. That when we see hurts and needs all around us, God, that it will move us from the inside out. That we won't just turn a blind eye to something and someone, but, Lord, that you would stir in us from the inside out to respond with help but also to give the hope of who we have and what we have in you. We thank you for what you're doing. In your name we pray.